Lights out. everyone once again to another episode of sleep tech talk the sleep podcast bringing the tech in sleep tech well i think that's an old joke but uh we'll use it once again but all that being said i want all of y'all on youtube just smash the like button please for us it's your likes that have been keeping us going we can't thank you enough for that and if you're listening on the podcast uh, platform please don't forget to give us a five-star review as well as put in your comments. We thank you all so much for that. With that being said, let me toss it off to Emerson to talk about our next fabulous guest. Emerson, please. Hey, thanks, Jerry. Uh, good to see you all uh, today. So this, today we have Dr. Bill Noah with us. Uh, Dr. Noah is from Tennessee. He was raised there, went to the University of Tennessee and uh, University of Utah, went to school in Tennessee and, and University of Utah for his pulmonary fellowship where he was awarded the Parker B. Francis Research Fellowship. His sleep medicine practice, known as Sleep Centers of Middle Tennessee, has grown into one of the largest in the U.S., with 15,000 new referrals each year. Dr. Noah pioneered remote patient monitoring for sleep by requiring modems on all PAP patients beginning in 2006, and his three-month adherence data helped um, later sway CMS to require adherence for reimbursement. Uh, more recently, Sleep Center's adherence data was published in an article in the January 2021 issue of the Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine. In 2020, Dr. Noah received the Visionary Award from the Tennessee Public Health Association for developing a way to diagnose and treat patients with OSA across Tennessee and six neighboring states during COVID when other programs had shut down. Dr. Noah is now CEO of Sleep Rest, who just introduced the VCOM at APSS in June. Dr. Noah rarely sees patients and spends most of his time in a large PAP research lab on his farm. And I'll have to say it's, it's quite the, uh, the setup there having uh, been able to spend some time with you. So, Dr. Noah, you know, as we get going today, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked a lot about is, is what you've observed with your PAP patients over these years and their struggle with CPAP. And you, you've tried a lot of different solutions, but... You know, you began to dig into it recently. What what did you uncover that you know really began you on a new journey? Well, well, thank you, Emerson, and I appreciate the relationship over the years. And you know, you are one of the first ever to try the VCOM here in the lab about a year ago. So uh, we've come a long way since that prototype. But uh, basically, during COVID, and then hit on harder by the recall. You know, I you know, had some more time and I just decided I wanted to know how, how and why we chose mask. And uh, I've always left that to my sleep techs and respiratory therapists. And so I started investigating and asking questions and interviewing uh, manufacturers, uh, one you work for and, uh, and talking to engineers. And I had some ideas before I started this and that we're just dealing with pressure and that flow and resistance can be manipulated as well as a circuit to, to improve comfort and possibly improve safety. So down here in the lab <laughs> and working with other people across the country, uh, came up with some solutions, some ideas and ended up testing them. And well, you got to find out last August, you know, the first one really worked. 
And now we've just released the VCOM on the market. And I have a bunch of other arrows in the quiver that we want to release as well over the next year. So, Dr. Noy, you, you know, as you observed the techs and the, and the patients and the struggles they were having, you know, you, you definitely were able to nail down the problem of, of their adherence. And that's a that's a long time issue. What did you begin to work on that helped you solve that problem and open the door for what we're going to talk about today? So it's kind of like this in a nice way. I always just trusted the manufacturers that they had everything under control and that they, you know, knew so much more about this than I would ever know. And so I just, you know, never really went behind the veil. You know, I, I assumed the mask and the machines and all the stuff it had were, were great. I was just trying to be more behavioralist to get people to wear it. So, so much of our data that, you know, we published it has shown 90% you know, greater usage during the first year than one last year. Um, really, that's more behavioral motivation in there. Now I got behind and started looking at the actual technology. And, and there's just a lot of opportunity there to improve care. The VCOM is the first one. And, and to make sense of this, the first thing people have to realize when they go on positive airway pressure, they have to learn to breathe backwards. So normally when you breathe in, it's active, but you're actively lowering the diaphragm. And then you have to actively exhale against the pressure. Well, with CPAP, I'm sorry, excuse me, you, you normally passively exhale. But with CPAP, now you're active on inhalation, but you're actively resisting it. If I was to pharmacologically sedate you and paralyze you and put you on 15 centimeters of CPAP, I'd just inflate your lungs and they would just stay out here inflated. And that's what you're resisting. That's what people have to learn to overcome. It's the inspiratory pressure not the expiratory pressure. Expiratory pressure is an issue because now exhalation is impeded, but the exhalation is therapy. You've got to have that. The inspiration is irritants, <laughs> and it's what causes so many people trouble. So uh, I invented a way to drop the inspiratory pressure. There's never been that before. So when the VCOM is working, the IPAP now is lower than the EPAP, and that's the beauty of it, and that's what's really you know changing everything and getting more people able to wear it early on. And even those that would end up wearing it later on, it's going to be easier for them. That's why we call it training wheels. So, you know, some of the benefits, you know, as, as you began to look at that, that inspiratory effect, because I know when, when I breathe, was able to breathe on it that first time, and, you know, I really wasn't even sure what I was breathing on. You know, we were, we were dealing, really dealing with that resistance. How does that work? And what do you feel like are some of the, the benefits that you're already seeing with, uh, with this technology? Yeah. So what I really want to do is is share with sleep techs, respiratory therapists, and, and my peers. But I think the sleep techs and the respiratory therapists are going to like this the most of what I learned. You know, I, you know, when I'm in the ICU with a ventilator, I'm not only focusing on pressure; I'm focusing on resistance, and I know the dead space in the circuit. I'm controlling everything. But when you put them on CPAP, you tend to order okay, put them on twelve to fourteen, or maybe your auto titrate and put them on you know five twenty, whatever. And everyone just focuses on pressure. And what I've learned is there's a whole world of, of changing the resistance to change comfort and also, you know, changing flows, which could, in some cases, we're going to learn soon, will improve safety. So the VCOM is the first effort at this, and it works with every device, and it does the same thing in each case. So it takes advantage of what this sounds complicated, but, you know, per- turbulent flow has a parabolic change, not linear. 
And so at low flow, there's no pressure drop. At high flow, there's a big pressure drop. So in a PAP circuit, if you're on the machine side of the exhaust valve, then during inspiration, there's high flow. You get the tidal volume and the exhaust flow. But on exhalation, there's really minimal to no flow. So because you're providing the exhalation valve flow out, out the exhaust. So, so therefore, at inspiration, drop pressure. And on exhalation, you preserve pressure. Um, so by preserving expiratory pressure, you, you maintain therapy. Uh, you know, the idea that, you know, you open the airway up with EPAP and then you blow it open with IPAP, which we've all believed for, you know, 30 years, just really isn't true. <laughs> and there's literature going back to the 90s that, you know, shows if you stabilize the airway during exhalation, you don't have to worry about collapse during inhalation. Uh, a good example of that are the hypoglossal nerve stimulators on the market because they fire during you know, mid-exhalation, mid and they have to get that done in order to support it. Um, you know, the EPAP devices, whether it's ProVent um, or the new device by Briggs or Dr. Haskins' uh, new device, uh, EPAP devices, there is no inspiratory. The inspiratory pressure is negative. You're inhaling normally, but then there's expiratory pressure. They're building auto-PAP or EPAP in your airway across the resistance that you're breathing across. So, so, you know, this has been here for years. We just really haven't looked at it. I think some of it might have been financial incentives. BiPAPs, you know, $2,000. And if you can put 15 or 20% of the patients on BiPAP, made a lot of money. But really, there's no literature, solid literature, to show BiPAP ever improved adherence. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of the game. What this is doing is doing the opposite. It's dropping inspiratory pressure. So if you're a sleep tech, and you have a patient who's struggling with the pressure at night when you're titrating them, pop a VCOM in and, and watch them relax, watch it be better. Just like Emerson did a year ago down here in my lab when I put that in the circuit for him. But you, you actually just went in the direction that I was, that I was thinking that, um, you know, our audience primarily are sleep techs. So w- what are some of the incidental things that your techs have learned by using the, the VCOM in the sleep lab? Well, I like how you said that, Robert, because actually one of the biggest discoveries was made by one of my most senior techs, and uh, and they just sort of did this like the second or third night. You know, when we got our FDA registration, you know, into May, we're trying to get launched at APSS, but we started now being able to put them on patients instead of, you know, volunteers with the prototype. And Carmen, you know, has been with us 20 years. Someone was opening their mouth at night, and she just said to herself, well, instead of bringing a chin strap in, I'm going to put a VCOM in. And so she puts it in and they were able to hold their mouth and finish the titration. In fact, they went up another six centimeters and the mouth never opened. And so she told me the next day and I, I was like, wow, well, EPAP is what I thought would have done that. But no, it's the IPAP. And so now we have a series of where we've done 20 patients uh, where uh, 20 patients consecutively in the lab where the tech was going to bring in a chin strap, but beforehand they put a VCOM in. And so far, 15 out of 20 of those patients have not required a chin strap. That's 75%. And so let's be on who's the most famous of these so far. Well, I'll tell you, it was, <laughs> I'm going to put a post on. So my wife, you know, uh, you know, recently has been saying my mouth's coming open again on my CPAP. But I haven't changed the pressure. I don't know why. But she's overheard everyone talking. Well, I hear now it, it, it keeps the mouth closed. 
So guess who had to go down to his lab the other night and she insisted to get a VCOM to put in. And, and I'll be honest, my mouth hasn't opened the last three nights and she's sleeping better. So guess who's going to have a VCOM in the circuit every night from now on. And then this morning, it's coincidental that she commented, you know, it's quieter too. Um, it's quieter because uh, Todd York, many of you all know, was at Phillips for years and he went to, uh, uh, he's at React Health now. And so Todd, who was with Emerson the first day they tried it here a year ago, Todd was here a few months ago and, and we were doing something and, and he's the first one to notice the noise that it, you know, dropped the noise because it's dropping that, that revving of the motor, you know, during inspiration. And so it knocks the noise down. So at the moment after he said that, we all heard it. So we brought out a decibel meter and measured it. And now we're having a third party just, you know, validate all that. But yeah, that's a, that's another thing it does. The, the biggest thing that's fun to me, okay, I'll just be clear. I think that's what you're baiting me for too, Robert, is because uh, you love this, is, is last November when I was at the Cephan CPAP factory in, in France, we were meeting with them, um, talking to the engineers, it hit me. I don't know why it never hit me before that that TEXA treatment emergent central sleep apnea is being caused by uh, augmented tidal volumes. In other words, I mean, let's just lay it out. I mean, BiPAP we know causes more of it. We know thin people have worse TEXA because thin people, you know, have more compliant chest, so they're going to have more augmentation of the tidal volume. So we know it increases functional residual capacity. But it's also increasing tidal volumes. If you look at literature before Colin Sullivan, when we were using CPAP, you know, for uh, ARDS in the 70s, there's was, there was data showing the augmentation of the tidal volume. Well, I thought that's what's going on. Then when I, when you, because when I went back through the literature, you know, Phillips introduces CFLEX in January 2003. Well, 2005, Robert Thomas, out of, you know, his group at Harvard introduced complex sleep apnea. Then 2006, Morgenthaler Mayer, Mayo, you know, do the same thing. And then eventually by 2014, treatment emergent is the name and the fact that, you know, now it's, it's a diagnosis. So it's, everyone talks about loop gain and yes, you've got to have a higher loop gain, but it's really, it's really augmentation of the tidal volume. And so we're causing so much treatment emergent. The reason it goes away in 70% of the cases doesn't help the sleep tech that night. But the reason it goes away is the person be, begins to develop resistance to that pressure, and that's how you get stable on CPAP. So once you're able to bring your tidal volumes down over time, the treatment emergency goes away because you're not blowing off the CO2. All right, so you want to know the results. So finally, once we, you know, I had to wait all the way until I had these things registered and I could put them on someone in the lab. So we have a protocol we started a few weeks ago for treatment emergent. They develop treatment emergent, they adjust the pressures, they get a VCOM. So as of two nights ago, we had our 10th treatment emergent, all right? And we're 10 out of 10. The, the VCOM has resolved all 10 cases of treatment emergent in the lab. They were able to complete the titration all the way up without it. Now, this is very important. That would be a therapeutic claim, and we are not making that. We have not reviewed this with the FDA, although we were talking to uh, people today about arranging the meeting with them. But but this is really exciting for me. This is because it's... it. it, it it shows my theories right. That is the augmented tidal volume. And by dropping the IPAP, I'm stopping the increased tidal volume that the machines are causing. And therefore I'm not blowing, we're not blowing off their CO2 and they're not having centrals. How's that? Is that what you wanted to hear? <laughs> beautiful. That's beautiful. I was just going to say that's uh, beautifully uh, explained. And uh, it's exciting to hear that when, especially when 
when we look at it from a technical aspect, from a sleep tech standpoint, it's very exciting to hear that. But Doc, we are out of time. Is there anything point <laughs> get in before? I know it, it goes by like yeah. that. Is there anything you want to uh, share with us before we close? Well, I'll just throw this out. You know, we have trials going on with adherence, you know, right now. And we, and we, we clearly believe it's going to increase long-term adherence. We're already seeing short-term adherence. But at the end of the day, this is a comfort device. And, you know, you think about, you know, whether or not it increases adherence or fixes TEXA or whatever. If it improves comfort, if someone can tolerate CPAP where they couldn't before, why not use it? It really has no risk. It's dirt cheap. <laughs> you know, when you think about spending $1,000 on a CPAP machine, you know, so I agree with a lot of my peers who come out and said they want to put it on everybody. And I think that, you know, by lowering that IPAP, you're going to get more people able to tolerate it faster. Put them all on training wheels. They'll learn, they'll learn to ride the bike faster. Maybe it'll kill the, a, a few of the overutilization of full face masks, too, in the, in the meantime. Absolutely. It, it, it really helps nasal pillows and under the nose more than anything. Well, Doc, thank you so much. That was uh, very interesting. I actually had several questions that were just starting to uh, pile up. But uh, like I said, we're out of time. And we thank you so much for joining. Cammie, I know you didn't speak, but we thank you for joining as well. And uh, we want to thank our audience, all our supporters out there. Don't forget to share the show with all the other techs that are out there. There are thousands and thousands out there. Be sure to let them in on what we're doing. And until next time, want to say thank you and lights on.